Hi, my name is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Before we start with the podcast, I have a few things that I'd like to mention. The first is that we've set up a special email address where listeners of our podcast can send in questions related to Agile, Agile transformation, basically anything about Agile at all. Just send your question to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it in text form, you can send a WAV file or any kind of audio recording of yourself asking the question, even video would be okay. What we're going to do is take the questions that we get, and in a future podcast, I will be joined by a few of our enterprise transformation consultants. We'll talk about your question. We'll talk about some possible solutions, some ideas, some things you might try when you get back to work, so that if you've got something that's going well, you can make it go better. And if you've got something that's not going well, we'll give you some suggestions or strategies for things you might try to change to make it go a little more smoothly. So again, any question about Agile or Agile transformation, just send it to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it as text, you can send it as an audio file, or you can send video, whatever's easier for you. We just like to get a lot of questions from our listeners so we can start to incorporate that into the podcast that we've been doing. Again, soundnotes at leadingagile.com. The second thing I want to mention is we've set up a special discount code for podcast listeners who are interested in taking one of our CSM or CSPO classes. You can find a list of all our upcoming classes by going to leadingagile.com slash training. We're currently doing classes in Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and San Jose. So just go to leadingagile.com slash training, find a class you'd like to take, and enter the discount code SOUNDNOTES to receive 10% off the list price. Now, on to the podcast. Hey, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. This is Dave Fryer, and today I have Devin Hedge, who is, we, Devin and I used to work together, and now we're working together again, so I'm really psyched about that. He's joined Leading Agile as an enterprise agility consultant. So, Devin, welcome aboard, and thank you for making time for the interview. It's great to be here, Dave. Good to talk to you again. So, you've got a specific focus, and that's kind of where I want to try to aim kind of our conversation today, if you're okay with it, um, the program and portfolio level. But can you talk about the, the the areas within that that you really like to focus on trying to help organizations improve and kind of advance what they're doing? Sure. So the big thing that keeps hitting hitting me in the face is this, uh, I'll call it death of the American company. Um, average lifespan uh, on the S&P 500 before a company is uh, divested, torn apart, sold off, or just out of business. It used to be 15 years. Uh, five years ago, it's we're estimating it's down around seven now. So your time to market um, new features and being able to adapt to the market is critical, critical. And it all starts at the portfolio and the program level. So is there anything about how long it takes these companies to get on the list, or it's just once you're on the list, the clock starts ticking? Uh, it's literally where, um, where which industries uh, disruption happens. So companies, they start to focus on operational ex- excellence that puts them in a position uh, to where they're vulnerable. If they're not keeping the, the gap on in, uh, and they're just focused on cost containment and things like that, what happens is they become vulnerable to that startup just down the street. Right, the one that's going to come and drink their milkshake in the middle of the afternoon. That's the one, right? So how so do they... Time, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so the time to market really um, for new features on a new niche. So hyper niche um, is, it becomes the imperative. So can you explain what that means, hyper niche? Yeah, hyper niche. So um, I had one client, um, fairly large bank. They, they uh, were focused primarily on 
branches, community um, banking, right? So it's literally a branch on every corner was their focus. Well, turns out the only people coming into their branch when they actually <laughs> did the market analysis was um, my grandmother, right? Exactly. Who's, you know, in her 90s, and I, I love her, but, you know, she's the only person showing up at the branch. Yeah. And uh, the report came down from McKinsey & Co. is, hey, here's the trend. Millennials don't care about branches. They actually don't even care about ATMs. So the whole concept of putting an ATM everywhere really didn't make a lot of sense. So you've got about a 10-year window uh, on that company, that bank, yeah. before um, their business model has to completely change. And they got to figure out also how to offload all those branches that are sitting around all that property, right? Um, so for them, portfolio didn't just mean you know IT. It meant, okay, we've got the whole branch network. We got to figure out what that turns into, and how quickly we can turn that into it. And that and that and becomes all- sort of like a business unto itself, right? Because if you're selling off all those physical locations, I mean that's totally separate than you having to innovate and provide something for the millennials, right? That that's correct. And what was interesting is they were pouring tons of money. And I've got another financial services company uh, that's you know. Uh, like one third of the gross domestic product flows to them, right? So it's huge, huge, huge financial services company. And they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on trying to capture just the millennials, right? Hyper niche. And they're getting nowhere with them. So, so no you're, that's a really important thing. I mean, so the, this is a larger company, I'm assuming, more established. Uh, five trillion. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So a little yeah. bit established. So do you think, I mean, that it's taking the financial world is the bigger and the older the organization is, does that make it significantly harder for them to find a way to say, yes, here's the thing that got us here. I'm going to find the thing that's going to destroy it. And I'm going to put that up on the shelf too, because that's where I have to be in five years. I, I think it's a little harder to let go, yeah, uh, the older and, and larger companies. It's a lot harder to let go of the old way of doing things, right? Yeah. But at the executive level, the, the, the board, the, the um, leadership level and the extended leadership, right? Right under them. So the C's and the EVPs, if you will, they all get it. They're ready. They're, they're ready. But what I'm finding is they didn't go to school to learn how to, change organizations over and over and over again. What they went to school was to maximize shareholder value. And this is a different animal. Uh, So we end up spending a lot of time. I end up spending a lot of time just teaching them how to think again. So so this this is a big, I mean, you say they're ready and I'm picturing a bunch of guys in a big mahogany room going, yep, I'm ready. Go get us the startup thing. Go find it and put it in here. Order it from whatever catalog we ordered from, and bring the innovation in here, and make it make that happen. And but, like you said, they're not they're not trained to destroy their own business and let the new one grow. They're trained they're trained to keep the one that's there in place for the next generation. Yeah, yeah, and turns out that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so, so this I think this is a, a, a significant point that might extend way beyond just this area because I was I was talking with somebody recently about. The workforce, and you know, when are we going to be at a point where the people that are in place understand this collaborative, agile, fail fast and learn, or innovation driven way of working? 
And his response was, it's going to take an entire generation. We'll have to cycle through the workforce because everybody that's there now, you know, they were all taught, keep the lights on, keep the thing up alive and just squash the competition by whatever means necessary so we can hand it off to the next crowd. But the world's different now. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I'd say full generation because I, I, the implications of that are basically for the next 20 to 40 years, our economy is in the proper, right? <laughs> and and who, wants, who wants to believe that that's actually going to be true? I mean, there's some part of it that I think is going to be true. But I, I believe in people. And I, I believe, and I've met enough people in enough organizations that I know we can, we can turn that ship around. Yeah, I, and, I'm, I'm thinking like the, it's. I wasn't thinking about the economy so much as about the people and how they're taught to work. Until we get to a point where it's a generation that hasn't been brought up through the waterfall. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. Do you think I mean, they can all relearn? Or are we are we that malleable? We are. We really are. Uh, I. I got one company that I. I just. Uh, left and yeah okay so they had more directors than there were stars in the sky and no one knew what they did right but when I started talking about that uh, um, bringing in concepts called like the three horizons model the CEO immediately you know he's he's a smart cookie he's like oh yeah I remember reading about that how would I do that here and it was just like well okay so you're basically creating a company inside the company that's going to replace the existing company and Find your 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 thinkers inside the company and the doers who go with them to reinvent it, and and it works. I'm I'm seeing it all over the place in islands, and you know that's the way it's going to work. Though it's going to be in islands, it's not going to be big. Um, so you're chains. talking about innovation centers within existing organizations, standing those up exactly. Okay, so can you for the folks who aren't familiar with it, can you walk through what the the three horizons thinking is that you just mentioned? Sure. Um, came from McKinsey originally. It's been used in a couple of the places now. I've seen people studying it. Um, Clayton Christensen talks about it a little bit in his Innovator's Dilemma. Um, Jeffrey Moore in his book Velocity really called it out and solidified it for me. And I've been running with it ever since. Basically, you got these three horizons um, of investment and growth. All right. So you have your your present value, the products that you've got today, this is where most organizations are, all right? So they, they're in basically maintenance mode, and they create an org structure around operational effectiveness and efficiency. That's your first horizon. Second horizon is um, future value, right? So think of it as uh, the next product, uh, the product that is going to replace your existing product, or it could be if you're just talking about incremental innovation, uh, it's just new features, right? Significant features, not just um, remapping or rebranding okay. an existing feature. Um, that's that's your second horizon. Third horizon is innovation. So a lot of people, a lot of organizations have these like R&D think tanks within their their organizations and and when they started um, basically creating um, when, when things got tough in the 90s everyone was like all right got to get costs under control got to get costs under control so the what happened well they killed R&D lab and said well we'll just acquire it right uh, we'll go out and buy a startup which that always works <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> there's lots of different reasons, and it sometimes works. Right? Yeah, I shouldn't um, sound so sarcastic about it. I guess sometimes it Yeah, does. I mean, if, if you're just looking to buy a book of business, it's actually not bad, as long as you understand that in a society where the cost of switching is so low because of technology, you're going to lose a, a big chunk of that book of business just because they, they're not going to like you. Right. right. Well, and if you're talking uh, about a company that's jettisoned its R&D function and then wants to go buy innovation somewhere else, that's like buying culture, isn't it? It's buying culture. And um, back when everyone just did mainframes and IBM was the only primary game in town and COBOL was the only real language in town and flat files and DB2 were kind of the only database technologies out there, wasn't hard to integrate. The, the the buy right right but 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 now you know if, I, if I'm a I'm gonna go back to financial services if I'm a big financial services company and I, I see this really cool innovative uh, company over there it's got these mobile apps and they got all these budgeting things and the millennials are just eating up I'm like oh there's how I capture the millennial market I'll just go acquire them and I start to integrate them into my old system well the cost of taking that technology that startup had outweighs the cost the benefit of the actual acquisition usually yeah. because they've got all these legacy systems right so that that it just doesn't work not to mention the millennials look at the coolness factor of the acquiring company and if you're not aligned with that they're just like ah, I'll, I'll go find the next you. yeah yeah exactly. so how do you help a company get you know get through this problem it's it's starts at the top. Okay. Uh, it always starts at the top. Everybody likes to say, well, we'll do a grassroots thing. I'm like, well, yeah, that's fine. But the, the organization usually just kills it because everyone's still, innov- uh, still incentivized. Basically, their performance management system says, thou shalt keep costs low. Right. Well, okay, there goes innovation, right? Um, so you, you literally, um, one technique's created a bubble, Another technique uh, to literally create another organization that is outside of those constraints. You mean like a separate company or just that it's isolated it can be within a separate, the larger company? Yeah. yeah, isolated is the big key factor. Sometimes it has to be a separate company. Sometimes it, it can be just a, a new division that gets created. But you, So you're um, saying you, one model you, you can, uh, just because it cut out a little bit, so you can create a bubble within an organization if you can find a way, I'm assuming, to – Make the bubble strong enough to survive the organization, right? Or and you that's set up. Why I say it says stop, starts at the top, right? okay? Or that's you create fine. a completely separate entity. Correct. Okay. So, so an organization, how do they? I mean, whichever path they're going to go, how do you re- help them start to learn and find ways to, you know, come up with a thing that's going to drink their own milkshake? Yeah, so I, I've been borrowing from um, lean startup movement, the lean enterprise movement, um, business model canvas, and, and all of those folks. Um, bringing all those ideas into play, and it usually starts with what is the thing that you want to do? What's the outcome you're trying to get? And what does that team look like, that cross-functional team where you have every single skill set you need, every single I'm going to say resource, not people, things, right, that you need to get the first contact and feedback from the market. 
Okay. And so that's that's structure, right? So that's organizational design. Um, that's HR. That's finance. That's um, forecasting. The way that people forecast uh, has to change. Um, and all that's at portfolio and program level. So if you're if you're a traditional organ, like let's say somebody's listening to this right now and they they work at a traditional organization and and they recognize that they have a need to become more innovative or, or to develop this capability, and you're saying okay we need to start you know with what outcome we're trying to get to, I can see where there's some people who who would be willing to say like oh I want us to be here or I think this is where we should be, but I would imagine there's just as many people that don't even. It's almost like you don't have the vocabulary to respond to that question anymore. Like that's not been something that they've been thinking about. They're not futurists. They don't know how to predict where people are going to be in five years. How do they place a reasonable bet or how do they begin to gather the information to help them figure out this is how I start to answer that question? Yeah, so this is where um, the coaching comes into play. You walk them through what are three to five small bets that will possibly give you a trajectory of where you need to be in five. So you, you're not worried so much about what, what happens in five, right? But you're more um, excited about, of the three to five options, what is the smallest, thinnest slice that you can create a hypothesis about and go out, test that hypothesis at a very, very low cost to help you... St- start to figure out what the right trajectory needs to be. Now, okay. it looks like spaghetti. It starts to look like spaghetti at first. Right. Because what happens is you'll, you get your first data point and you're like, oh, this is great. And you start, you're, you're deterministically wired to think, oh, well, the next logical one is, you know, next point towards that direction, that vector. Um turns out the market is a lot more uh, fickle because it, it's moving along with you. Right. So, you know, you get to point A, the next point might not be B, it might be B prime, if you will. So you, you, you've got to understand that the next one is three to five different other options. Yeah. Right? And, and it's not a straight line trajectory. It, it's by any stretch of the imagination now. Where Agile really helps with this is one being able to get the feedback loop running really quickly but it also keeps the cost um, trajectory of this really low because you're not really investing in each iteration a lot of money on figuring out what's the right next thing so i want to try to draw a little bit of a parallel and see if this makes sense so i'm sort of thinking of the old way of of looking at you know where you're trying to figure out how to get from A to B to C, you're looking for, for lack of a better way of uh, whatever just popped into my head, this Don Drapery kind of guy who's got this wisdom, or Steve Jobs, who could kind of predict, everyone will be there in a year. And when we're, when they're there, then we're going to lead them here, then we're going to lead them here. When you talk about this spaghetti, this is like, okay, well, let's just throw this thing out into the middle of the floor and see what they do with it. And then when we we have some information there, we'll throw something else out over here and we'll go get more information. And it's really more about accumulating data that might help foster an idea or 
switching from becoming an organization that predicts where people will go to being a learning organization that is just trying to discover where people want to be? It's it's more the, about the learning organization. So okay. I, I love the Steve Jobs because everyone goes, wow, what a visionary. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> How many of those did he get wrong? <laughs> well, and also a wonderful human being to the people around him too. <laughs> yeah. Putting that aside. Yes. Uh, you know, how many did he get wrong? Well, it turns out it's most of them. Yeah. And 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 the thing that you have to understand is it's it's kind of like the old analogy of of Michael Jordan. How many everyone talks about how many shots Michael Jordan got right. Nobody talks about how many he got wrong, right? So it's it's how many can you get wrong and it actually doesn't hurt you in order to get the, to the one that's right. Yeah. I was just listening to an interview with Seth, Seth Godin, and he was talking about how it's the failures that he's the most proud of because the failures are where you learn, and that's how you figure out what you need to do to get the successes. That's right. And, and, and so when you're really coming up with these hypotheses, you have to say, okay, yeah, I, I hypothesis that, that you know, if I add this feature in this type of way to my product, that I'll get, you know, this bump in, in one of the metrics that you care about to measure it. You know, always find your one metric that you know you can hang your head on. Is it, is it growth? Is it conversions? Is it uh, referrals? You know, what, what is that metric, right? Um, design that study, if you will, it, so that if you fail, you took something away from it that you can now feed back in. I've seen the organizations, they'll, they're like, instead of, they're like, well, we're going to fail fast. I'm like, that's great, fail fast, great, good. But they don't fail falling forward, right? Yeah, they, just they, they just fail. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> it, you know, you gotta, you got to put some thought into that design. So do you, you just mentioned something that kind of sparked a thought in my head. You talked about bumping the metrics. Um, I can see where an organization that has this traditional practice of, you know, sustain, sustain the thing that we have might say, well, let's get this innovation practice set up. And they sort of step towards that. And then as soon as they run an experiment that makes sales jump a certain number of points, like, that's it. We got it. Lock in on that. Let's forget about the rest of the innovation thing. Just push the, the needle just that one point. Um, do a lot of people kind of like step off at that and just like, they think they're there. Yeah, it's it's about a one in five so far. Um, yeah, how do you shake them? How do you <laughs> smack me, them and then be like, "Stop it! That's not where you want to go." Don't step off, right? Yeah, uh, you gotta keep pushing. Four and five step off. I guess is a, a better way of saying it. Um, okay, because we've got this natural tendency to want to exploit the thing. Yeah, right. Because that's the way organizations are designed, and yeah, you have to do a certain amount of that. You can't put your take your foot off of that that gas pedal. But at the same time, you have to understand um, the actual speed or output of that engine, revenue engine. Regardless of how much gas you're throwing into it, it's just going to slowly grind to a halt because the market's moving. But that's market, so that's yeah. going to create a weird situation from a coaching perspective because when you walk in the door, they're stuck, and you help them get unstuck. And they see a little bit of a performance improvement and they're like, Hey, this is great. Thanks, man. And you're like, No, we're not done. <laughs> but then they're like, Yeah, we're, we are done. I mean, 
that's how do you cope with like how do you deal with that um me personally or how do oh, i do both I mean, like, <laughs> either way it's got to be hard i'm curious in every direction that's got to be a tough situation yeah with the client it's it's really do you have the relationship do you have that true coach relationship with them uh to where you can say um yeah that's good but this is just your first time trying out this new capability of being able to adapt to the market, right? Because that's what you're, as a coach, you're trying to establish. Is that You've got to establish some deep trust for them to be willing to sure. keep going there. Sure. And, um, you know, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah. they, they hire you uh, out of the gate as a coach thinking that they're getting a consultant. And, um, yes, I'm a consultant, but I'm, I'm – doing using coaching because I know that's how I get lasting effect. Right. Okay. But that means the investment emotionally by the company, it's not a transaction. You know, I hire you, you give me the thing, you install the agile and then you go away and I've got the agile and you flipped it on, turned on to, you know, this one's gone already to 11. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Or they're like, Um, Hey, you turned this into a learning organization. We're going to stop now because we've learned. Thank you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, unfortunately, that's the norm. Yeah, uh, and and I, I've me personally, I've, I've internalized that to this. It's kind of a Zen moment, right? Which is, you know, that's what market is all about: is the fact that very few people will actually get it, and they will survive, and the people who don't will kind of either die or at least just kind of tread along until someone puts them out of their own misery. Yeah. Well, I think there's a sort of a Amanda Palmer thing there too, where not everybody wants the flower. Like you're there to offer it, but they're not all going to take it and you can't make them take it. Cause then it doesn't have the same intent. Yeah. You can just be there for them when they're ready, but that's so, so when you go in, how, when you're working with the customer, how do you define like what success is going to look like for them? Um, well, first, you know, it's, it's classic consulting there. It's just, what are the drivers? What, why did you call me? Okay. Right. Why did you call me? Um, looking at the drivers that, and there's usually, I don't know, 60 to 80% of the, uh, drivers are the same from company to company to company. So that tells me that, okay, um, market forces are at play everywhere, right? Yeah. And there's no, um, even, and it's fascinating, even the utilities, highly regulated, you know, areas that you think don't change that often, the, those are the ones that are actually nervous the most because they, the, their executives are like, I am so susceptible to someone disrupting me, it's not even funny. Um, yeah. The one that, that, that I'm thinking of right off the top of my head is is the energy uh, sector. Yeah. The, the, the person that solves microgrids and uh, neighborhoods acting as their own um, communal uh, power store using, you know, the batteries that, that, that oh, uh, what's his head, uh, is, is trying to market everyone. It, once the person, sol- the person that solves how that feeds back and flows back into the big power grid, all the big power companies are now subject to Every Tom, Dick, and Jane acting as a, a small power company. Yeah, it's going to be like what happened to the phone companies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
which, which is there's an interesting thing there. But so even the monopolies or, or the oligopolies are really subject. Well, and I mean, just to stay on that point for a second, because I'm totally walking down the rabbit hole, um, that will strengthen things significantly as well. Because if we have locally sourced pockets of energy storage, then we don't have to worry as much about, like, say, a terrorist attack on one particular grid. Oh, yeah. From a, uh, uh, infrastructure. national infrastructure perspective, a, a inf- infrastructure security, the more federation we can get, the, the better off for everybody. But right? it sucks for the people that are the energy companies right now. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it totally goes against the grain of economies of scale. Yeah. It, it cr- literally creates a new economic model in every one of those industries. Uh, insurance think- is going that way. Um, cars are about to go that way, which is really bizarro. Do you think that the people who work in these fields, are they aware of how this significant scale of change is happening, you know, across the board or or do they only see it locally within their own kind of field of vision? It varies. It really varies. It seems to me like, I mean, going towards the idea of a learning organization or, organization staff with people that are there trained in disruption and problem solving as opposed to keep the lights on. Um, it requires a different kind of knowledge worker, a different kind of thinker. I mean, something that, you know, maybe a reason it would take a generation is because we don't know how to teach people to be that way yet. No. People like, people, no. there are people that find their way there, but we've not institutionalized that way of thinking. No, we haven't. Um, Fascinating thing is I, I found that uh, of all the people in an organization, the person who ends up, I'll say the majority of the time, being the driver behind the figuring out that, that oh, oh crap moment, right? It's usually the CIO. Okay. Because the CIO is constantly having to deal with Moore's law. So they, they know to be looking over the horizon because they've, they've got to think about tech replenishment, right? Yeah. So as they get more and more business savvy, because more and more businesses are mostly just a, a big computer system that happens to do one thing or another, um, they send, team, tend to be the, the, the group or the person that understands over the horizon a little bit more and, and sees the changes coming. Um, I'm finding boards, and maybe this is where that, that whole generation needs to change. The, the folks who are on a lot of boards, frankly, are scary uh, because they don't understand technology. They don't. They they're not learning at the rate that technology is coming at them. Yeah. They don't understand the effect, and so they 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 want innovation, but they actually don't even know what it looks like in in some yeah, of the older not close markets. enough to the problem. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And some of the older markets and older industries, Mark, um, the boards tend to be uh, needing a, a new skill set. Um, you know, it, the market will take care of that too, right? Yeah. So if, if I am, let's say that I am somebody who is working in an organization that wants to, to develop a, a better level of business savviness for, I don't know how to say that, or somebody on a board who wants to get a little more hip to what's going on. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you've already mentioned like Eric Reese's book, Lean Startup, or they can look at, you know, business model canvases and things like that. But 
I don't know if maybe you found it. Is there like a particular source that they can be like, go to one place, read this one book, and it'll kind of lay it out? Or is this something where, you know, one thing leads to the other, and then as as you've evolved with it, you just pick up these pieces as you kind of walk through them? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think it's the latter. It's the picking up the pieces. I've, I've looked for one source. Or maybe that's the book I'm supposed to write. I don't know. Um <laughs> Uh, it, it just doesn't exist yet, and and the I think that just speaks to the complexity of it. Yeah. Um, because the moment that I write the book, right, one part of that book is going to be outmoded long before it ever gets to a publisher. Yeah. Um, and that's just the nature of all this. And so I would say outmoded it, for somebody that's at operating at your level of involvement with it. But think about all the organizations that haven't even discovered this problem yet. I mean, that's like the companies that are just now finding out about Agile. Um, yeah. You know, that there's always going to be that long tail behind it. There, There is, but they won't be around in 7 to 15 years. That's true. The tail, <laughs> the tail will separate at some point. Cool. Yeah, I, and, and that's that's cruel. I mean, that's that's just it's the harsh, harsh reality, statement. man. That's what's that, going it, on. It, it's harsh reality. That's what's going on. So, if people want to, you know, talk to you about the, this kind of coaching stuff or engage with you, something, what is the best way for them to track you down and to reach you? Best way to reach me um, is you know either through Leading Agile or uh, which my address is um, what Devin Hedge at leadingagile.com. dot com. Or you can just find me on Twitter. You know, I'm Agile Devin on there. Okay, cool. And I'll have links to both those. You're probably on LinkedIn as well, right? So they can find you there. I am. Cool. I am. Yeah, that one's easy. It's just Devin Hedge. All right. And so I want to also give you a chance. You've got an event coming up um, that you're kind of in in the throes of planning. That's going to be taking place later this spring, right? But, uh, yeah, right at the end of spring, uh, right at the beginning of summer. Uh, we had to get out of the way of March Madness here in Raleigh. Uh, we started two, what, three years ago, um, a tri-agile event. It's a regional event. I'm pretty excited because it's, we're now bringing in a lot of uh, heavy hitters from all around the globe. So this is um, for the folks here regionally, uh, from anywhere from up to Richmond, Virginia, all the way down to Charlotte and South Carolina, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, we pull from all those regions uh, to, to create this event that for folks who just can't go to the national events, right? Okay. And we're hoping so, to throw Code for America in there this time around. Oh, wow. Um, cool. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, as, as, you know, one of the things we've been tossing around and we're kind of gauging the, the interest is, is there an interest to actually let people experience what extreme programming and mob programming is really like? That's a really because, cool idea. Yeah, a lot of people just, you know, they talk about it, they, they're interested in it, but, you know, their, their sponsor or their, their uh, employer won't let them have that environment to do it. Wow. And we're like, what would happen if we just grabbed an AWS instance and just said, hey, let's, let's do something for Code for yeah, America? Yeah, like and Woody start- come in there and run people, switch them around for a day or two and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. That's great. All right, so the website that people can go to to find out about this is triagile.com, and it's what what's the date? It's June June thirtieth. June thirtieth. Okay. Um, June thirtieth. And and I would encourage folks to definitely check back at this because if you guys are going to be able to run those kinds of labs where they can come in and get experience, 
Um, that's really cool. Like, I mean, I've never worked on an XP project, but to be able to go into a safe environment and try that out would be pretty awesome. And you yeah, do have some yeah. great people coming. Cool. So, uh, thank you very much for taking the time for doing this. And for anybody who's listening, I would definitely encourage you to, to ping Devin if you're curious about the work that he's doing, um, or how to get started putting the startup back into your big old stodgy dying business. <laughs> so, <laughs> I should say that differently. So if, <laughs> but I won't. We'll just leave it go. All right. So dude, thanks a lot and welcome aboard. Thank you. It's my pleasure.